2: www.xoneradiotv.com. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and on Star Cable. My special guest this hour is a good friend of the Exxon. His name is Kevin D. Randall. He has a PhD. And we're going to be talking to Kevin about his brand new book, Crash, When UFOs Fall from the Sky. For over 30 years, one of the foremost experts on UFOs, a decorated combat veteran and a retired lieutenant colonel whose assistance is sought by government, news media, and scientists, our guest this hour, Kevin Randall, has written a brand new book, Crash, When UFOs Fall from the Sky, a History of uh, the Famous Incidents, Conspiracies, and Cover-Ups. Exonation Nation, with about 100 books to his credit, including science fiction and historical fiction, and hundreds of magazine articles. Our guest this hour, Kevin Randall, is best known for his work about UFOs and the Roswell story. He has lectured throughout the United States and Europe, and has appeared on hundreds of radio programs and TV documentaries and specials, including... The Today Show, Good Morning America, 48 Hours, Larry King Live, and many others. Joining me now to talk about his new book, Crash, is Kevin D. Randall. And Kevin, first of all, welcome to the Exxon, and congratulations on another great book.
4: Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here again.
2: It's always great having you, Kevin. Now, for our listeners who have joined us since you were last with us, let me ask you, what got you started in researching UFO crashes?
4: Oh, that we can blame on Len Stringfield.
2: Oh, all right, so uh, now was, that we've passed the buck.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Len was a UFO researcher from Cincinnati, Ohio. In 1978 at the MUFON Symposium, he did a paper on UFO crashes and suggested mm-hmm. that maybe we as researchers should take another look at this, this idea. It had been thoroughly destroyed in the early 1950s by an expose by a fellow named J.P. Kahn, of a book called *Behind the Flying Saucers*, which dealt with UFO crashes, and from that point on, very few people wanted to look at him And Len presented this paper at at MUFON and suggests, you know, there's some interesting stuff there. Maybe we ought to take another look at it. And in that uh, first presentation, although it wasn't part of the published paper, it part of the speech in in uh, Ohio. He talked about Jesse Marcel and the Roswell crash just right. briefly as one of many other other UFO crashes. So Len started this idea of UFO crashes, and he produced a number of what he called status reports. And in one of those, he had a list, and I think it was just a list in the back of the book, of the crash retrievals he was talking about. And I sort of thought, well, this is kind of a good idea. So I tried to put together a list with information on various crash retrievals that I I could find. And so this book is an outgrowth of, of like two decades' worth of work.
2: All right, Kevin, please stand by. You and I have to take our first commercial break for this hour. Exonation, a very good friend of the exon Dr. Kevin D. Randall is my very special guest, and it's always great having you with us, Kevin. Brand new book, a must for your bookshelf, Crash, When UFOs Fall from the Sky. It's published by the good people at Warwick Associates. And uh, Kevin and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break. His website is kevinrandall.blogspot.com. My name is Rob McConnell. This is The Excellent. We'll be back right after this two-minute break. Don't go away.
5: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you.
0: Ooh, don't wait. Visit Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello dot slash save. Sonobello slash save.
2: I'm scared, Lordy Lord, I'm shaking, I'm
4: petrified I've never been much on religion, but I've up, just fell down on my
2: knees XO Nation, Dr. Kevin Randall is our special guest his new book, A Crash, When UFOs Fall from the Sky is Available. His website is uh, kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and the book is published by Warwick Associates. Kevin, how many UFO crashes have you been able to actually document?
4: In the book, I look at a 100 alleged events. Mm -hmm. Of those, there's probably four or five that I would treat as real, honest-to-gosh crashes. Uh, based on the evidence. Uh, Roswell, of course, in 1947. Mm -hmm. Um, Las Vegas, Nevada, in 1962. Kecksburg, 1965. Shag Harbor, Canada, Mm -hmm. in 1967. Very important case studied by Don Ledger and Chris Stiles because there's an awful lot of documentation that goes with it. Uh, I mean, official government documentation that goes with with Kecksburg. Then there's some others that, that intrigued me but they're, they're uh, limited in what we have in the way of information. And I think immediately of one in Cape Girardo, Missouri, in 1941, for example, that it's basically signal witness, although other family members have corroborated part of it, and there's one or two other people who remember their families talking about it. So it, it's it's kind of shaky in where we're going, but I think I, it, it may turn into be a good one. So that... You know, those sorts of things is all we really have. The vast majority of my think are misidentifications, uh, bolides, very bright meteors as they break up. I think account for a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, especially those in the last uh, 10 or 15 years. Uh, and then, and then there's the hoaxes, uh, single witness cases that are very, very shaky, and and cases that are are, are based on little more than hearsay. So we have a. a, a A few really good ones, and then we have some that are pretty good, and then we have an Mm -hmm. awful lot that are are very bad.
2: Why do some people believe that so many UFOs have actually crashed, Kevin?
4: I'm not sure why they want to believe that so many have crashed. I know that that some of the lists that you can see on the internet, top 300. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're like raining out of the sky. And if that was true, we we'd be having a whole different conversation. the Roswell case is intriguing because it fell in a place where the government can control access to it and the information about it and was able to shut down any any research into it for 35 40 years uh, others have fallen in sort of remote locations where you couldn't get access to them the, the Las Vegas case for example we call it Las Vegas because there were witnesses in Las Vegas but the craft actually probably came down on the Nellis Ranges Nellis Air Force base outside of Las Vegas owns vast tracts of, of southern Nevada. So you couldn't get to the the, the final crash site uh, because of that. Uh, in in uh Shag Harbor the thing went into it went into the ocean in mm-hmm. essence and, and the Canadian government, the American government were there with their ships trying to trying to find out what was going on but but the access again was limited. So those are good for those reasons. Uh but why they wanna except so many I don't know. I do know and I and I put it up on my uh, my blog not long ago a number of pictures from bolides where you get a very bright object in the beginning and then it looks like a series of windows behind it and and this is clearly a bol- clearly bolide and that was my my point was that sometimes if you caught something like that out of the corner of your eye mm-hmm. it looked like a flaming aircraft looked like a flaming object coming down and burns out and and but it turns out to be a, uh, not as a rare phenomenon as, as we used to think because there's so many of those pictures. On the blog, I have what I call a video bar, what they call a video bar. One of the, one of the things that shows up is a, a meteor compilation. If you go to YouTube and type in meteor compilation, you can see it. And it's three minutes and 19 seconds of, of ball lights caught on videotape or digitally recorded over the last 10 or 15 years, which is just fascinating to watch.
2: And, and how is your, your explanation for some of these crashes being accepted by the, the, the masses on the Internet who, who really believe that, you know, there are a lot more UFO crashes than, than are being talked about?
4: They just they seem to reject the data. You know, and, and I bring this up because just the other day, uh, a week or so ago, I got an e- email from a woman whose mother was Judy Wolcott. Judy Wolcott talked about how her husband Mm -hmm. had been in the control tower near Kingman, Arizona, when something crashed there in 1953, and he'd gone out to see what was going on, as did other military people, and they recovered some kind of an object. And he wrote her a letter from Vietnam and was telling her part of this, and he said, when I get home, I'll tell you more. And he was then killed in Vietnam. Well, I get a letter from Judy Wolcott's daughter, because I I wasn't buying the story because I couldn't find any any Wilcott mm-hmm. who you've been killed in Vietnam in, in, in the right time frame. I get a letter from her and says, Well my, my father, uh William Wilcott, or my stepfather, is still alive. So clearly that's not the right guy. But my mother had been married before. So we're looking at that and she says, But my but my, my real father would have been fifteen in nineteen fifty three and he died in two thousand six so he wasn't killed in Vietnam either. Mm-hmm. So now we we know the the fate of both Judy Wilcox's husbands. Neither were killed in Vietnam, and so I post this information. And there was one line in in part of this that said that is what Judy Wilcox's daughter had told me, that her she and her mother had butted butted heads sometimes over Judy's embellishments of stories, and somebody pulled that one line out and ignored the information about the two husbands who survived long beyond Vietnam and all that other stuff, and said, well, you know, the the daughter's probably lying about this. Excuse me? The daughter's not lying about this. It's clear that Judy Wilcott was not telling the truth, Mm -hmm. that she cannot underscore the validity of a crash near Kingman, Arizona, because neither of her husbands were killed in Vietnam, and in fact, neither of her husbands were old enough to be in a control tower in 1953 as a professional military officer. And and yet, so what they they look at that information and they pull this one little line out, which they wouldn't have known about had I not told them, and use that to to sort of reject the entire bit of testimony.
2: As a professional researcher, military officer, and and, and a professional researcher. Don't. What what is your opinion on the Internet when it comes to getting the information out there? Is, is it a pro or is it a con?
4: I am a big fan of the Internet. I think it's just absolutely marvelous, mm-hmm. but you have to be able to filter the information and understand where the, the webmaster or the writer on the website is coming from and put that in perspective. If they believe everything about UFOs, well, then maybe you ought to check the stuff they say out very carefully. But I found, I, I mean, one of the things that we could do, with uh, going back to the Judy Wilcott story, mm-hmm. we could, there's a listing of everybody who was killed in Vietnam, either the combat deaths or the, the non-hostile related deaths. And so you could search the database, and you could see whether or not a Wilcott had been killed in the right time frame. Uh, and, and found out that the only Wilcott that shows up on the list was a guy who was 19 years old and unmarried. Well, clearly, that sort of undermines the uh, uh, the validity of her story. There's another story that came out, and I was as I was putting the book together, it's about this fellow named Robert Willingham who retired as an Air Force colonel and saw something crash near Del Rio, Texas. So I'm thinking, well, I just typed in that information on the Internet and discovered that a whole book had been written about this, and the information in that book was radically different than the information that had been produced earlier. I eventually got to the original story. Um, MUFON has put their entire run of their MUFON journal online, and I was able to find in 1968 the original story told by Willingham, and it turns out he wasn't an Air Force officer, he was a civil air patrol officer, which is a voluntary organization, but certainly not as prestigious as being a high-ranking Air Force officer. And much of what what he had said in that story is contradicted by what he's saying later. So, so by by using the internet, I was able mm-hmm. to put all of this together and discover that this guy probably is not who he claims to have been in in, in, the, in the story. And then I had to use I used other sources. I went to the um, pilot training base, the Air Force pilot training bases in the early 1950s, to see if his name popped up as a, as a, a student in any of the classes or, or officer training school and all of that stuff, and couldn't, couldn't verify any of that. So his story began to come apart. But the important, the important clues for me came by searching the Internet. So the Internet provides a lot of information, but you have to be able to critically filter that information.
2: Kevin, how could any one government suppress information pertaining to a ufo if everyone a ufo crash that is if everyone has so much access under the freedom of information and there are so many so many people within the government who are apparently are coming out and leaking information to the masses so how is it that the that the government believes that they can keep this a uh, secret or have they been able to keep it a secret
4: we're talking about it so clearly they didn't keep it a secret but but freedom of information is very limited in what it can do, and and the the umbrella un, under which they can hide a lot of stuff is national security. We don't have to respond because of national security considerations. We can neither confirm nor deny your uh, query here. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. So if you have a limited number of, of of events and the government can control most of those events, then you have a very hard time of breaking through that. But, but they have made mistakes, which is how we got onto some of this stuff. Uh, I think it was Robert Todd was, was using FOIA to um, find some information. And from the State Department got a, a bunch of documents that referred to Project Moondust. Moondust was a government project that was to investigate tales of, of returning space debris of foreign manufacture mm-hmm. or unknown origin. In other words, if a Soviet, bit bit of a Soviet air uh, spacecraft crashed in the United States, moon dust would be the the um, uh, code name of of trying to retrieve that material. We learned about moon dust by mistake when a United States senator queried the Air Force about Project Moondust, They wrote back and said, "No, there's no such project. Never it never happened." When the senator then presented the documents, which were clearly State Department documents, Air Force documents, Mm -hmm. clearly authentic documents, they said, well, we'd like to amend our last statement. Moondust existed, but we never used it. Stand by, Kevin. We've
2: got to take our commercial break with the news. Dr. Kevin Randall is our special guest. His website is, you ready for this? KevinRandall.blogspot.com. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. Don't go away. Uh dot Welcome back everyone. Dr. Kevin Randall's my special guest. We're talking about Kevin's brand new book. It's entitled Crash When UFOs Fall from the Sky, History of Famous Incidents, Conspiracies and Cover-Ups. It's published by our good people at Warwick Associates. Kevin's uh, website is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. That's www. KevinRandall.blogspot.com. And Kevin, before we went to the news break at the bottom of the hour, we were talking about Project Moondust, and I, you know, can we just finish up on that before we go on to the next topic?
4: The, the, the point that is important to make here is Moondust took place after Project Blue Book. Blue mm-hmm. Book was the official study. The Air Force closed it down, says we don't study UFOs anymore, and it had a classified project known as Moondust. When that name was compromised... A number of people tried to find out what the new name was, and the Air Force basically said the new name is properly classified, and we can't tell you what it was. So, up from from the point that Blue Book ended in 1969, up to the point we learned about Moondust in 1986, the Air Force was investigating stuff under that name. We now know that there's a new name; they just don't. Nobody's managed to to break through the the wall of secrecy to find out what it is.
2: Kevin, how come there has been no information that has that has been classified as a smoking gun when it comes to the crash at Roswell?
4: Because I think w- we have some very good uh, eyewitness testimony mm-hmm. from, from Edwin Easley, from Jesse Marcel, yeah. uh, the members of Blanchard's staff, whom we talked to with one exception. But they did, they did a very good job of covering their tracks. In fact, I have a letter from one of the daughters of Patrick Saunders, who was the adjutant, and in, in the letter, she was telling me that her father had said, was bragging about what a good job they had done of, of hiding the paper trail uh, by masking how they'd gotten the money and how they'd done stuff um, so that you couldn't, you couldn't verify it that way. I, I believe this stuff is, is very tightly controlled by a very small number of people now and that we haven't been able to, to break through it to get to the smoking gun. The other problem we run into, unfortunately, is an awful lot of charlatans out there telling us stories about their crashes or stories about uh, their involvement. And when those blow up, and many, many of them have, mm-hmm. uh, we all look bad, and, and it, and it kind of well, gets people in the idea, well, you know, that was proven to be a hoax. Well, it really wasn't. It was just one aspect of it that blew up, but it, it kind of uh, hides the whole thing.
2: In your opinion, Kevin, and you've been researching Roswell for a long time now, what is it that makes you believe that there really was a UFO crash, a crash of a spaceship from another planet near Roswell, New Mexico?
4: The one thing that I always come back to is my discussion with Edwin Easley. He was the provost marshal at Roswell in 1947, the top cop there. He had two companies... Of, of soldiers responsible to him to, to guard guard things mm-hmm. and as I was talking to him one day I said to him are we following the right path and he says what do you mean and I said we think it was extraterrestrial and he said well let me put it this way it's not the wrong path in other words he's telling me it was extraterrestrial General Exxon who was the base commander at Wright uh, Patterson Air Force Base in the 1960s was at right field in 1947 when the stuff came in. Here's a guy who was there and relates to us his experiences with that material as it came in, also suggesting it was extraterrestrial. We have the testimony of Bill Brazel, the son of the man that found it, about the materials he handled himself that that, um, clearly were nothing that, that were made on this earth. And one really subtle point, but, but it's really interesting. When the UFO phenomena exploded in 1947, June of 1947, there's all kinds of newspaper stories about it. Governmental officials talking about it, military people talking about it, civilians talking about it, all kinds of discussion about what they are and what they're not, and all of this information going out. Then on July 8th, they announced from Roswell you know, flying saucers captured in the Roswell region. Three hours later, they come back and say, no, nah, no, nah, it was a weather balloon. These guys made a mistake. But the critical thing is the next day, July 9th, you get a, you get a story from the Associated Press that the Army and Navy moved data. to suppress stories of flying saucers whizzing through the atmosphere. The question becomes, why suddenly on July 9th did they care about this, when on July 8th and 7th and so on, they hadn't cared. And it's because they had one. And they didn't want anybody realizing they now had an answer to this this question that they were not willing to share with anybody because they didn't understand it themselves at that time.
2: Do you think the truth about Roswell will ever be acknowledged by the government? And do you think that there will ever come a time, Kevin, when the U.S. government will admit that, yes, a UFO did crash, crash at Roswell, New Mexico, or do you think the information will always be suppressed?
4: eventually something's going to happen and we're going to learn the truth whether whether the the, the people from outer space the visitors land and it's no longer possible to suppress the information or something leaks into the public that clearly points to it or maybe maybe a president decides it's time to to let the information go at some point we're going to we're going to learn the truth uh, about it but but at this point and and I do not know why they continue to deny it. We had a real chance in, in the mid-1990s because we had, them, we had them scared, and that was why they conducted, the Air Force conducted their big investigation and came up with the Project Mogul nonsense. And what I loved about Mogul was the Air Force would say, you know, back in 1947, we told you it was a weather balloon. That answer's not right. What we found out by investigating today that it was a uh, weather balloon. Same answer, they just wrapped it up in new paper and said it's the same thing. And then skeptics will say, well, you know, Mogul was top secret. Nobody knew about it. They didn't even know the name of it, and yet we can prove through the Air Force documentation the people working on Mogul knew the name. It wasn't that secret. The purpose to try to get a constant-level balloon so they could overfly the Soviet Union spy on them, that was secret. But the balloon launches, the balloons themselves, the balloon arrays, the name, none of that was classified. And, and yet today we're saying, well, it was so classified, even the guys at Roswell didn't know about it. But the, but the Mogul people had gone to Roswell to get their help. They clearly knew about it. So we had a chance in 1995. We let, them off, we let them off the hook.
2: Why is it so necessary, in your opinion, after doing all this research, why the government of the United States, or any other government in the world for that matter, would suppress information about the existence of UFOs?
4: If we go back to the time frame of 1947, Mm -hmm. I think it makes perfect sense. I agree. We've just come out of a major war. Uh, They're now presented with something that could be hostile. They're Mm -hmm. not sure what to make of it. They're not sure if they can defend against it. They want to have an opportunity to review all of that uh, without a lot of pressure from the outside. makes perfect sense in 1947. If you say to me, In in 2010, why is it still covered up? I have to tell you, I don't know. We're much more sophisticated. Clearly, we've got a 60-, uh, 70-year time frame here where nothing tragic has happened. There's been no invasion. Mm -hmm. So that people would say, well, this event took place last century, for crying out loud. How does it affect me today? I do not know why the cover-up persists today. I cannot figure that out. All I can tell you is I know it does.
2: Do you believe, Kevin, that these visitors pose a threat to national security or to humanity on this planet?
4: I think that's the way the Condon Committee, which was the investigation set up by the Air Force to get the Air Force out of publicly investigating UFOs. I think national security was the bugaboo they, 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 they used. They said, you know, these these UFOs, whatever they might be, if they're even out there, mm-hmm. uh, pose no threat to national security, so the Air Force has no uh, reason to continue the investigation. I think looking at the history from from uh, 1947 on, we can say uh, there seems to be no threat to national security. There doesn't seem to be uh, anything that's happened in in, in in relation to UFOs that wasn't, you might say, accidental. Uh, pe- some people have been injured when they've accro- approached too close to UFOs. Uh, uh, some pilots have been killed chasing UFOs, but it wasn't a result of any act by the UFO. It was just the proximity those people happen to get, and events that took place um, around the the intercept attempts. I think at best um, they're benign. I don't think they're benevolent. I don't think they're necessarily uh, malevolent. They're just benign, doing what we do when we go into the bush to study chimpanzees or gorillas or meerkats, for that matter. We just we don't interfere with what they're doing. We just watch their social interactions.
2: What's been the most interesting or intriguing UFO case that you've ever investigated personally?
4: Well, Roswell, obviously. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Um, The uh, Las Vegas crash is very interesting because when I was in Utah, it's made up of two components, uh, a Utah component and a Nevada component. And what the Air Force did was separate it into two parts using Zulu time for part of it and local time for another. So it looks like it takes place hours apart on two separate nights, but when you correct for either local times or all Zulu times, you find out that the events took place 16 minutes apart. But we're talking about people who saw the craft land. We're talking about events where the object flew over a town and knocked out all the electricity as it passed over. When it was gone, the electricity came back. We've got the thing looping around, that we know that the Air Force attempted intercepts based on the information from the Project Blue Book files. So that's a very interesting case uh, in, in that respect. And and I, and I think at this point, I'm the only one that's talked to an awful lot of those witnesses. And, and since this event took place, uh, many of those witnesses have since died. So no one will have an opportunity to talk to them. So that was very interesting. There was also a, a case that uh, Bob Cornett and I investigated down in southern Missouri around the Joplin area in the late 1970s where there was an awful lot of activity going on and people seeing a bright orange dome disk over a period of several weeks and uh, uh, one one case of the object on the ground and people seeing the, the creatures from inside it but an awful lot of very down-to-earth people trying to figure out what they had seen and not just something in the distance but something up close something that they got very good looks at and that's a very intriguing case but doesn't really relate to um, UFO crashes because the object was landing and taking off and that sort of thing.
2: Do you think there was a connection between Kenneth Arnold's sighting and the crash at Roswell?
4: No, I, I, other, than, other than just the time frame. Um, Arnold kind of got people looking at UFOs or flying saucers. Uh, and and, and, and what really cracks me up is I've, I've seen this from a number of people. When you say well, flying saucers 1947, and they say well, they didn't use that term back in 1947. Excuse me, they invented it in 1947. Mm-hmm. But but I don't think there's any connection. Arnold um, Arnold just happened to be the the point that got the the interest of the public. If you look at the blue book files, and they they went back um, beyond that, so there were there were sightings prior to Arnold. Then you look at the Foo Fighters from World War II, which was a objects seen by all sides during the war. And a fellow named Keith Chester had done a uh, uh, wonderful book about that. And, and what you learn from that is it's not just these little balls of glowing light that, that you get the impression of for the Foo Fighters, but actual solid objects and, and guys in, in uh, bombers firing at the objects and the bullets bouncing off these, these objects and things like that. So we've got a, we've got a history of, of UFOs uh, that goes back beyond Kenneth Arnold. And, of course, in Crash, I, the first event I talk about is in 840 A.D. So we're we're looking at everything from 840 A.D. to a bunch of stuff in the 19th century, some, some stuff in the early 20th century, and then after Roswell, we got all kinds of stuff going on.
2: Where did your interest in UFOs come from, Kevin?
4: I like to blame my mother for that. <laughs> I, I try not to take responsibility for anything. I blame Glenn Springfield, and I'll blame my mother. Uh, she had an interest in science fiction, which mm-hmm. is, of course, talking about aliens and travel through space and, and, and invasions and all that kind of stuff. So it's not a big step from science fiction into, into UFOs. So I, I got interested through her interest in science fiction, and, and this kind of intrigued me because it's based in reality.
2: How did uh, your interest in UFOs go over with the people that you served with, uh, with, with as a lieutenant
4: colonel? Nobody nobody really cared. Um, no way. <laughs> and in fact, a couple, one really funny story is while we were in, in, in Iraq, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in today's world, you know, you have satellites up there with te- television. And so our guys were able to pull down the, the satellite feed. So they would get the history channel and mm-hmm. all of this stuff while we're in Iraq and one of a couple of them came up to me one day and wanted to know if I had a brother. And I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, we saw this guy with the same last name on television on the History Channel the other night talking about UFOs." And I said, "Well, that was me like 10 years ago." Wow. So uh, it, it it's never really bothered anybody. I've had to have based on my jobs, I've had to have a top secret clearance.
2: Yeah.
4: I've never had a tr- trouble with the clearance. Um I've always got my top-secret clearance, and, and the, the military knew of my interest in UFOs. So um So
2: there you go. The rest is history, because, Kevin, you and I have to take our final break. Please stand by. Exonation. kevinrandall.blogspot.com. He's the author of Crash, When UFOs Fall from the Sky, a history of famous incidents, conspiracies, and cover-ups. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. And welcome back, everyone. I'd like to take this opportunity of thanking all our guests tonight. In hour number one, I spoke with Dutch Van Voorst. Hour number two, Martin Jordan. Hour number three, Cindy Herb. And my guest this hour, a good friend of the Exxon, Dr. Kevin Randall. We're talking about Kevin's brand new book. It's just been put out. It's entitled Crash, When UFOs Fall from the Sky, A History of Famous Incidents, Conspiracies, and Cover-Ups. Kevin's website is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And it's published by our good friends at Warwick Associates. As always, Kevin, great talking to you. Um, uh, Are there any more UFO flaps? Because, you know, here in the media, we don't hear about major UFO sightings. We don't hear about alien abductions anymore. We don't hear about cattle mutilation. It seems as if ufology has gone off the main grid of mainstream media.
4: And often it does you can take a look it used to be cyclic in running in about 5.5 years between mm-hmm. really big interest by the media the cycle has been a lot longer in the last um several decades uh, i think we're coming back into an area where we're we're beginning to see more ufo stories but we have the, the stevenville texas story we have right. the uh chicago o'hare story but i think a lot of the stuff has now kind of reached the oh hum factor with the media you know a dead How many dead cows can you report about, uh, that sort of thing? Uh, It's it's reached that point, and yet we find out that UFOs are very popular on the Internet, and there's an awful lot of people very interested in it. The mainstream media uh, really doesn't, doesn't have a lot of time for UFOs now.
2: Well, I think a major factor there, Kevin, is that there are so many people today perpetrating UFO hoaxes, alien abduction stuff, and, and cattle mutilation. And you know what? A couple of years ago, do you remember when the media really got bit by the people who said they found a Sasquatch in a, in a freezer, frozen? I, I think that Oh, they, yes, yes, yes.
4: You
2: yes, know, yes. I, I think the media is saying, well, unless you can show us the crashed UFO and the three dead aliens or the one that lived, we're not going to talk to you anymore.
4: And, and that's part of, part of the problem with mm-hmm. the whole, whole phenomenon. Um, we have all been burned yeah. by, by people who have been making it up. It, but but last, last year we had the, the, the Yoho, Yahoos who were launching the hot air balloons yep. in New Jersey to prove how credulous UFO witnesses were. But when you listen to the testimony of the witnesses, they were describing very accurately what they had seen. And, and in the very first, first hours, a number of people said, well, we think it's balloons. And, and it was the news media that kind of inject, interjected the alien into that or the extraterrestrial into that by, by the questions they asked when the witnesses themselves were talking about red lights drifting across the sky. So it's kind of a little bit of everything, I suppose.
2: Hey, Kevin, I want to thank you ever so much for being with us tonight here on the x As always, our very best to you, and congratulations on another great book. And tell our listeners where they can get a copy.
4: Amazon.com. Go to your local bookstores. It should be should be everywhere that you buy books. So.
2: And if it's not, tell them that you want to get a copy of Kevin Randall's Crash When UFOs Fall from the Sky, published by Warwick. Well, that's it for tonight, everyone. I'll tell you once again, thank you very much for joining us. No matter where you are on this great big planet of ours, or if you're in a UFO circling the Earth and you're listening to us, nice to see you. Why don't you land? Let us know you're there. Give Kevin Randall another book. We'll be back tomorrow night at uh, 10 o'clock. So until then, always keep your eyes to the sky.